0: So ran that agency for about three years before I sold it and began Command Partners, and that became you know, the world's largest crowdfunding marketing agency over the last eight years. Now we've successfully done, I think, over 750 campaigns. We've raised over $160 million in pre-sales for products, uh, and this season we'll have our 16th and 17th client on Shark Tank. We stand today. The business method. The business, With method. A the
1: business method.
0: The business method
1: podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds.
0: Entrepreneurs systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence.
1: a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show.
0: The Business Method.
1: Crowdfunding in today's world is a buzzword and a new industry that has literally helped thousands of entrepreneurs take their idea from a sketch on a napkin to millions of dollars in sales. Our guest today is the founder of one of the leading agencies helping these entrepreneurs make that dream a reality. His name is Roy Morjohn, and Roy is the founder of Command Partners and co-founder of Eventus. Roy built Command Partners into the largest crowdfunding agency in the world. They've helped launch over 750 crowdfunding campaigns, raised over 160 million in pre-sales for products, and had 17 clients on Shark Tank. If you're into crowdfunding or want to launch a new idea into the world, this episode is a must listen. And without Further ado, Roy Morjohn.
0: Entrepreneurs systems, methods, tools, and tactics.
1: And listeners, I'm really excited to welcome Roy Morjohn to the show today. Roy, how you doing, my friend?
0: Doing really well, Chris. Honor to be here.
1: I am uh, flattered and honored to have you on the show, and you and I met a couple months back on an island in Croatia at a really cool business conference, and I got to see you speak, which was also really great, and um, I'm just glad to have you on the show, man. Where are you calling in from today?
0: Uh, The sunny state of Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Ah, uh, how's the weather there?
0: It is hot, muggy. I think it'll be 90 degrees today, just like every other day here, basically.
1: Is that your home base? It is. Why do you choose Charlotte?
0: Uh, I chose Charlotte about uh, going on 18 years ago now. Uh, moved down here uh, to graduate school from UNCC and uh, just fell in love with the area, the weather, the golf courses, the people, the food's great, uh, access to the world with Charlotte Douglas Airport. Uh, and that's really been a, a nice thing, you know, being a traveling entrepreneur and speaking a lot, uh, having a home base here where, with global reach for an airport.
1: Yeah, that's key. I'm living in Italy right now, and we are one bus ride, two train rides, and about five hours away from the closest airport in Rome, which is it adds. (laughs) Yeah, it doubles. Like like we traveled to Bar, uh, not Barcelona, but two hours outside of Barcelona, and it took fourteen hours. And there was people that came to this event also that traveled from Montreal that also took 14 hours and it was kind of like oh man but it I that's mean, incredible but we live in Tuscany so it's really you know I guess it's a fair trade
0: yeah probably yeah I mean I'm a uh, 25 minute ride to an international airport and that's fly nice. anywhere in the world
1: yeah that's really nice. So I'm glad to have you on the show. Uh, I just want to start off by getting to know you a bit more. We chatted briefly when we met, but not a lot. And I know you have an incredible history of being an entrepreneur from way back when and growing in uh, marketing agencies and creating your business into what it is today. So I'd just like to give you the mic for a few minutes, Roy, and just uh, hear about how you became the entrepreneur that you are today.
0: Yeah, um, I guess uh, I kind of got my entrepreneurial spirit or genes from my parents, certainly. I think like most entrepreneurs, just seeing their parents, you know, hustling to make a living and put their kids through school and try and give them a leg up in the world, you know, that they might not have had when they were growing up. So my father was definitely entrepreneurial, you know, growing up in Connecticut, lobstering and trapping animals and living off the land kind of with his parents. And, uh, you know, he took that when we moved to Maine. And you know, I grew up lobstering with him, and you know, earning a, a hard day's work every morning. At that three a.m. wake-up call came quite early, and then mm-hmm. go out there and haul traps all morning, and you know, come in in the afternoon, and you know, you got a full day's work before most people are waking up in the morning. Some days, and uh, you know, really just appreciated the the hard work and diligence and the uh, the love of living off the land. Honestly, you know, just the appreciation of growing up in Maine. Now, I. I it's amazing to me, you know, going back every time, how lucky I had it. And, you know, from there, just really became an entrepreneur, you know, hustling in my neighborhood from, uh, you know, basically selling golf tees and golf balls to my friends and setting up a nine hole golf course in my front and backyards. <laughs> we would play golf there. And then that after golf, we would go watch The Price is Right and we would gamble on The Price is Right in terms <laughs> of, you know, prices of products and, you know, the showcase showdowns and all of that. So you know, really, it was just a matter of uh, you know finding a hustle everywhere I would go with my friends in terms of selling them stuff or doing things like that. And then eventually, you know, golf kind of led me down a path of you know becoming a professional golfer for a little while down here in, in North Carolina, and you know, learning how to you know build websites for golf courses and become like a, a PGA pro and give golf training and lessons. All while I was, you know, coming into my teens. But doing that, learning you know, on the Internet, basically, I forced my parents to sign up for AOL when it was just coming out in the early 90s and really just was completely enamored with the broader world outside of Maine because it's a very small state and I could connect with people around the United States and internationally even in some instances uh, in terms of the community that the Internet brought on. So being a young entrepreneur at the age of 12, I learned how to write code with Visual Basic and C++ and created a few programs with a few other kids that were my age around the United States. And we, you know, we started, uh, you know, mail bombing people and taking over <laughs> chat rooms. And then we, uh, you know, eventually learned how to, you know, change our screen names and usernames on AOL. And, uh, you know, that led us down a path of, you know, acquiring credit card numbers from unknowing and unsuspecting people <laughs> that just wanted their AOL mail. Oh, wow. And we started you know, trading those credit cards for pirated software and, um, you know, kind of got in trouble for that basically. Uh, and that led to consulting gigs with, you know, AOL, with Microsoft, with Dell, you know, all while I was in my teens and just kind of, you know, learning to break things and then get in trouble and get slapped, you know, on the hand or, you know, in, in a little bit more trouble after that. Um, and that's kind of, you know, how I got started, at least on the Internet and just completely amazed with the community that you could build there and the connections that you could make with people that you never met in real life. So, you know, fast forward after college, after a stint trying to play golf professionally, uh, started my first agency uh, 11 years ago back in 2007, and that was purely to train corporations on how to use social media for retention, recruitment and ranking. Uh, You know, in terms of getting their voice out there, understanding how to reach people from LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, really how to grow their presence because it was the shiny new tool and they all wanted to play on it, but they didn't know how to do it correctly. So ran that agency for about three years before I sold it and began Command Partners uh, in 2010, the end of 2010. And that became, you know, the world's largest crowdfunding marketing agency over the last eight years. Now we've successfully helped all of these startups who have product ideas bring them to market and validate their product idea using Kickstarter as a means to throw a product out there and see if people are willing to pre-purchase a product that doesn't exist yet. So now we've successfully done, I think, over 750 campaigns. We've raised over $160 million in pre-sales for products. Uh, and this season we'll have our 16th and 17th client on Shark Tank. So it's really been exciting, you know, seeing the whole progression of not only my career, but the careers and ideas of a lot of these entrepreneurs around the world bring their product to life. Because this is usually their best idea, their baby, right? And we want to protect it and nurture it as best we can and see if we can make it a successful company and a big company if that's the direction they want to go
1: so i want to talk about the early days roy when you were you know 12 13 years old and starting this stuff online were your was your family supportive or did they even know what you were doing
0: (laughs) they had no idea (laughs) yeah i mean a lot of it would be uh everybody would go to bed and i would fake pretending to be asleep and then i'd go back downstairs and i'd sign in on my you know my compact presario you know 33.6 baud modem (laughs) and i'd have to like Put, I'd bring my pillow with me to cover the bo- the modem because it made such a loud noise. It was like, <laughs> you know, and it would do that noise. I'd have to like physically cover it. So i be down there all night sometimes just you know with the blue screen in my face all night just talk to people you know in the U.S. on the other coast you know and everything like that but nobody had it you know none of my family really had any idea they're just like you're on the computer way too much so I used to have to like document it and you know how many hours I was online (laughs) every week and kind of thing and My parents would follow along with that, but they really had no idea what I was doing or getting into, honestly.
1: Oh, that's funny. What do you think it was at that age that really enticed you about the Internet and
0: business? Uh, You know, I think... Growing up in Maine, it's a very sheltered community. There isn't a lot there, especially in the winter time. It's it's mm-hmm. you know it's depressing, honestly. Unless you like truly love the outdoors, which I do, and have a much greater appreciation for. But it's just it's not fun to you know be in freezing cold weather all of the time, and that kind of forced me into. Oh, there's a bigger world out there. And certainly we had done some traveling, you know, up to Canada and down to Florida to see relatives and all of that. So there is a bigger world out there. But the Internet really expanded it out there, you know, exponentially for me. And that's really what I completely got enamored by was just the ability to connect with people uh, and potentially, you know, make money from it if I wanted to.
1: Okay, so let's go into your first business that you started, and that was, um, well, you did some stuff when you were younger, but the, the first business
0: post-college. Uh, it, was, it was after school, so I, I finished, and then three years later, I started that agency, and basically in that three-year period, I was working for other companies as you know a digital supervisor or a head of you know, marketing or paid search or SEO at other agencies and kind of just jumped around. I really couldn't find my fit. Um, so they were very short stints and almost contract type gigs where I was at a place for four months or another place for eight months and another place for six months. And I was kind of learning along the way what I didn't like about the way agencies in Charlotte were running necessarily. So I knew I could do it better and on my own. And at that time, I was building a reputation for myself and the work that I was doing at these companies and eventually, you know, I started building up enough work where I was like, all right, I can do this on my own and support myself, you know, out of my basement basically and travel around the, you know, the, whether it be the U.S. or regionally in the south and have clients there, um, enough to support myself and then start bringing in my friends as contractors for, you know, additional works or needs that I had at the time.
1: Got it. And and were you traveling a lot in those days or was it basically home-based work and then travel whenever you could?
0: Yeah. At that time, it was more home base, you know, really focused on the South uh, and then just traveling for, you know, adventure, bachelor parties or those sorts of things. Um, You know, nowadays I travel every other week. Basically, I'm in a new city or a new country, which is a lot of fun.
1: How are you managing? You know, you run a pretty successful business now. I'm curious when you travel every other week, how are you managing life, business and, you know, relationships with uh, wife and children at the same time?
0: Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's uh, it's funny. So two and a half, maybe almost three years ago now, CNN decided to do a story on me for whatever reason. And their story was about work life balance. So they came up from Atlanta and were like, you know, filming me at my office, filming me with my family, filming me doing, you know, uh, pick up basketball with my buddies. And basically, I was like, you know, they're like, we're doing this story on work life balance. I was like, honestly, CNN, I don't have any. <laughs> but whatever you want me to say, so this thing airs, I'll say it. And it was funny, you know, just going back over that and looking at that now. I, you know, I have the most amazing wife and the most amazing kids and my wife is super supportive now. Early on, it was difficult for her to understand that I'm a traveling entrepreneur and I get invited to speak at a lot of places and attend a lot of conferences and do those sorts of things where now it's, you know, part of a routine. Um, so I'm really fortunate there on the business side. I've been extremely fortunate to bring in some of the most talented people on my management team that I trust with everything and have been able to delegate a lot of those tasks out, where they run more of the day to day, you know, agency side or marketing side of all of the clients and crowdfunding projects that we're doing. Um, So, really, it's just been, you know, over the years, building up trust and delegating things out, which I used to be terrible at because. I would want to do everything the best and myself and faster than everybody, but you learn that you've got to start giving those sorts of things out to the people that you trust and you know that they're going to do a great job at it as well. So it's been a learning process. I'm getting a little bit better at the balance side of things, you know, working from home or working from different places, uh, wherever I may be. Um, But it's still, you know, it's, it's a constant struggle, I would say, honestly, to try and really find balance especially now with my kids being young, they're understanding a lot more things as daddy grows up or oh daddy's going on another business trip they kind of understand that now where it's not like all tears and daddy don't leave me again, <laughs> uh, kind of now they're like, all right, dad will be back in a couple of days and we're going to do a Google hangout every night with daddy. And that's, you know, that's sort of now where the kids have been, you know, acclimated to that sort of life that I have now.
1: So that's what I was going to ask you because like I, I had this challenge of being in work mode and being in non work mode, but I'm in work mode a lot and then yep. paying attention to girlfriend and calling the parents back home and family and friend times. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're, you have a, a home office, but you, you're also traveling a lot when you travel, if you're traveling more than just a weekend, like how are you managing staying connected with your family, like over a week's time while you're away?
0: Yeah. It's usually, uh, with my wife, it's, you know, we, we text all the time and then it's like, all right, we're, we're getting home. You know, you want to talk to the kids now mm-hmm. and it's just managing when I can talk to the kids, like, cause I'll be out on the West coast and they'll call me and it's, you know, 4 a.m. on the west coast right and it's 7 a.m. when they're waking up here if i'm lucky uh so it's like okay gotta get up 4 a.m let's go uh, and that happens a lot just because I'm out in San Francisco or Silicon Valley a ton nowadays with all the startups that we work with. So California can be difficult. Um, but otherwise most of my travels on the East coast. So it's, it's pretty easy. And, you know, I'm an early riser just like my kids are, fortunately. So, you know, we'll do a Google hangout and I'll talk to them while they're eating breakfast. And then when they get home after school, you know, between four, five and six, and I'll always do a hangout call with them as well. And, you know, it's amazing now with technology and video how, Seamless that integration can be, and you can sit there and be with them, and they don't miss you as much. I hope, you know, <laughs> will time will tell. But I hope that you know, with video and facial expressions and all of that, you can really see what's going on and be a part of the family while you're away.
1: And then, how about when you're working from home? Do you have scheduled hours in your home office?
0: I do. Yeah, I mean, the, the kids are out of the house pretty much, you know, every day at school now, so when i'm here it's it's work mode and usually i try not to get as distracted as i can cuz there's a lot of cool crowdfunding products in my office that i get to play with and uh you know i'm i'm with my ADD, it's uh it's always difficult to stay focused on things but mm-hmm. i keep a very tight schedule in terms of you know my google calendar is very well laid out in terms of tasks and doable you know tracking things and everything that i have to get done for that day
1: And then how about working with a partner? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially location independent entrepreneurs that travel a lot, um, one of the biggest challenges all of us have is maintaining a relationship with a, a boyfriend, girlfriend or spouse. And I'm curious of like, what are some of the things that you guys do to make, to ensure uh, you keep that, the relationship going while either you're traveling and focusing on work and, and maintaining balance with kids and, and the whole works.
0: Yeah. So we try and take, you know, at least two trips a year together, just us, um, where a mother-in-law will, will take care of the kids or, you know, a friend of the family and just do like a long weekend away. And then we always try and do at least a date night once a week, um, for sure, and get that on the books. Where we've got, you know, great babysitters that'll come and take care of the kids. So, you know, that's really us time where we get to talk and everything like that. Uh, so it, it is difficult, but you know, unfortunately, um, I'm molding my wife to be very schedule driven now because I have to keep such a tight schedule. So it's like, all right, I'm very regimented and, you know, authoritative, I guess, <laughs> on that. We're like, all right, date night, 6 p.m., 8:30, <laughs> we do this. This is where we're going. And it's like. You know, I'm I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to give up the reins of, you know, my my nature uh, of being a boss, right, where I -hmm. I try and boss my family around and that doesn't work so well. So I I have to take off the boss hat when I come home. And uh, that's been a slow process.
1: So let's talk about the, the business that you're running today. And you guys have done 100 over, did you say 106 million for clients with crowdfunding?
0: Yeah, 160.
1: 160. Nice. And when did you start this business? Did you say 2012?
0: So, yeah, end of 2010, I started Command Partners. And then two years ago, almost two years ago, uh, we merged with a company called Inventus, who had been doing product development for the last 17 years. And the, the reason we merged with them was that we had so many entrepreneurs and startups coming to us with ideas, whether they were written down or on a napkin And they'd say, hey, Roy, look at this cool idea I just came up with. This product is going to solve X, Y, Z. And I'd say, really cool idea. But in order for us to run a campaign and prove to the market that you're the right person to run this company and you can make the product that you think you can make and there's all these other hurdles that you have to get through, we need a working prototype to prove to the market that this product can be made and that they're willing to then pre-purchase that product on your word that you're going to deliver what is advertised. So we would just have so many people that would come to us with these ideas and we would have to farm out or refer them to product development companies or you know, engineering companies or design companies, whatever it may be. And you know, we were so fortunate that Inventus was you know a mile and a half down the road from our headquarters And we ended up, you know, having great conversations there to really end up now providing a a turnkey solution for product development and product launch where they can come to us with the idea still. We have a team of engineers and designers that can prototype the product out and build it into a working prototype and model. And now with our crowdfunding team, we can do all the photography and the videography for the idea write the story of the company, do all of their branding and storytelling, handle their PR, their social media, their lead generation, and run a campaign to validate their product idea now with the market. And really test price points, product ideas, colors, feature sets, et cetera, without them going down the road of investing hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in production before... The product or retail says, no, we don't want this idea, and they've wasted time and money at that point. So we've been really fortunate now to have an end-to-end solution for entrepreneurs um, where there's no finger pointing of, oh, the factory that factory messed up on this, or this manufacturer did this, or this, you know, whatever the case may be, everything's under one roof, and it's just a seamless process for an entrepreneur to come in and launch an idea with us. That sounds exciting.
1: I, I'm wondering if you can share, Roy, some of the the successful products that you guys have launched together.
0: Um, you know, most recently success stories. You know, we just worked um, with four new million dollar campaigns um, that we just finished, which is really exciting in terms of you know taking a product and raising a million dollars for them in 30 days. I think there's only been about 250 or 270 campaigns that have done that. And now we've done, I think, over 30. Wow. Um, so we've got, you know, like over 10 percent of all of the million dollar campaigns our agency has worked on, which is always exciting, you know, because we know how to raise millions of dollars from, you know, smart watches. You know, we just did a campaign last year for a high heel shoe that I talked about in Croatia, you know, where we were able to raise over two point two million dollars for a high heel shoe you know, where women weren't even able to try this shoe on. Yeah, we were able to pre-sell, you know, close to a $300 high heel shoe uh, just off the marketing and materials and the video and the story that we were able to do. Um, you know, from air conditioners to smart belts to luggage and drones and shoes, uh, we just finished a campaign called Moon Pod, which is basically a zero gravity bean bag. You know, we ended up raising 1.2 million dollars for that a zero uh, earbuds, gravity beanbag. <laughs> that sounds right. fun. Yeah, just, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like a, a Casper mattress, but in a beanbag, basically. Okay,
1: cool, gotcha. And what's uh, a
0: smart belt? A smart belt. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a it's. It's a belt uh, at the end of the day, but there's smart (laughs) technology built into it from storage to Bluetooth to, you know, a few other things that are in there how the buckle works, all of those things. It was just coined as a smart belt. But basically, it's the most crowdfunded accessory in history now. And it's fun, you know, because we're setting the trends for the most crowdfunded enter category product ever now where we just did one for, you know, a children's accessory or children's clothing line or uh, shoes, you know, all of these different categories of products from smart wallets to, um, you know, one of our companies that we ran a campaign for, Blink, which was a wire-free HD home monitoring alert system. They recently just got acquired by Amazon for $60 and. We ran their campaign and raised a million dollars for them that way on their campaign. And, you know, they go on to see great success there. So, you know, there's just so many different types of innovations. You know, if you just look at our portfolio, we list, you know, hundreds of these six figure and seven figure campaigns that we've run just for all of this new innovation that's coming to market. And people are pre-purchasing these products before they are able to see them in a Best Buy or a Target or, um, you know, Neiman Marcus, you name it. I could, it's really exciting.
1: I could imagine working with so many new technologies in an environment like that could really keep you guys just on the cusp of all the exciting new technology that's coming out. But I'm curious, what like what type of culture do you guys have in your offices while you have all these fun toys to play with?
0: Yeah, I mean, culture has definitely been a focal point since I started the company in terms of, you know, maintaining a fun and exciting place because it's fun and exciting what we do every day. You know, we get hundreds of entrepreneurs that reach out to us every week with their with their baby. This is their best idea. They want us to bring it to market. So we're fortunate to have that opportunity to help these companies and take them down the right path before, you know, they make mistakes and spend money where they shouldn't or, Tell them, honestly, you know, we tested the product. We're, we're starting to do a lot of market validation tests where basically they can bring us the idea. We're kind of 50-50 on the idea. And we say, all right, let's just test it. Let's build a quick landing page. Let's send some targeted traffic to it, which we think our buyers look like. And let's see if they convert. Let's see if they want to buy it. And that way, again, we can, you know, say, all right, this totally didn't work, our cost per acquisition's way too high, nobody's interested in it, and this is the feedback. Maybe if we change it this or tweak this, then the customers will want that. And that's you know kind of the process that we can go through with a lot of these entrepreneurs because we can validate their ideas much faster than we used, they used to ever be able to do with, you know, a group study or something like that. So going back to your original thing on culture side, you know, we're a very young and energetic group. Um, you know, I think the average age of our employees is 26. Wow. So, you know, we have a massive team. Uh, Twelve people now are just running Facebook ads all day. So we have a massive team of ads team. You know, they're spending millions and, you know, a month on Facebook ads and traffic there then we have a huge PR and content team, you know, handling all of the content and storytelling, account management, the email marketing side of things. And then our inbound marketing team is continuing to grow because of all these successful products that crowdfund and then they ship and deliver. And then we can pick right back off in terms of driving traffic and sales for them on their e-commerce or their Amazon site. So, you know, for culture, for us, we're, we're always trying to improve and add new benefits for all of our employees because many of them now are starting to get married and starting to think about having kids. So we're introducing, you know, like disability insurance, long term, short term, 401ks, which we've had and matching there and, you know, extended maternity leaves and all of these other things in terms of You know, really trying to focus on the millennials because that's the majority of our workforce now and the things that they're excited about coming to work for and what keeps them engaged at our company.
1: So I don't know if you got a chance to talk much to Jamie Wheel when we were in Croatia, but um, they did a case study in their book uh, about Google and how they took their company from 100 million to 40 billion in using some of the ideas to get people into these more creative states of mind to help grow the business, so I'm curious: like, is there anything that you guys use in your company to to help the employees become more creative? I know you had an awesome Christmas video that you guys put out that was <laughs> on your Facebook page <laughs> that was really good. So I'm curious: uh, what are if there's anything that you guys use it, in, in your company?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're we're not like strict i guess i would say in terms of all right this is creativity hour (laughs) you know let's let's be creative uh but i always come back really energized from these masterminds you know whatever they may be in terms of trying to incorporate something into our culture and i tried to do you know like a a yoga session or you know like a creative thinking session it's just i'm not the best person to try and lead those things because i you know i take the value from the experience I had and try and bring it back and it just doesn't distill correctly. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately I'm not the most creative of people to be able to run those sorts of things. But we do have, you know, like a Slack, we have like a brainstorming channel where if people, you know, need help with an idea or how to target something better. People just throw it in the Slack channel. Like, Hey, I'm having trouble trying to find an audience for this product or this idea or whatever it may be. And everybody usually jumps in, you know, immediately and just has this, uh, you know, a slack type of brainstorm session, which is really fun to see. And then if there are bigger problems, you know, or bigger things that we need to think about, you know, we have sessions and studios where people can just jump into our, our space is very creative as you saw in our Christmas video yeah. where there's like all these different areas and pods that people can go from you know the outdoor patio and chill out there or the studio space that we have which I don't think was in the video and then the hardware space the you know the the garage where you can build anything and all these different areas inside of our building where people can go and try and you know be creative or think about these sorts of things but it is definitely something that's a focal point for us as we enter into 2019 of Extending out our creative services department and our branding and really focusing on that because the story really matters with these startups because this is what people are investing in. They're not only investing in the inventor, but they're investing in the story and the product idea because that's what they're going to tell their friends why they bought this. What was the story behind this product? And every campaign that we do, that's our main selling point is that crowdfunding video to tell that story as well as the campaign page. So we're really trying to focus in on, you know, how do we become better creatives and better storytellers?
1: Uh, What were some of the products that you guys got on Shark Tank, Roy? Oh,
0: man. Uh, Dozens. Um, So my favorite episode was probably uh, Moshi, who created this product called The Sound Bender. And if you go and watch his pitch, it's probably one of the best pitches out there. I think Damon said it was the best pitch at the time. Um, And basically, it was this really simple product that clipped onto the back of your ipod or your ipad and redirected the audio because the speaker was on the back it would just bounce out right it wouldn't go towards you so he created this small little magnet that coop you know scooped the audio basically and bounced it towards you really simple product amazing margins on it and he just gave an amazing presentation and Dane was like done i'm in um so that was a really fun one and then um you know uh, I enjoyed seeing uh, my buddies on Coolbox, uh, Chris Stoikos, founder of Beard Club, getting up there and doing a deal uh, with Lori on the show. Uh, they were That was a fun product to work on all the way through You know that we did. Uh, my, another favorite of mine will be uh, they didn't end up getting a deal on the show, but it was a product that worked in every room in our building. It was a company called Inerve, and they created a smart stove system. To automatically turn off your stove if you're not in front of it for a certain amount of time so if you get distracted while you're cooking pasta or something else is on the stove it happens all the time i think there's like 17 homes burned down every day from a house fire <laughs> every day people wow. leaving their stoves on wow every day uh, and it's just we're in such a distracted world like a phone will ring or mm-hmm. a text will come in or a kid will cry or a male person will ring the doorbell whatever it is we're cooking and then we get distracted so that problem you know the solution came out of that problem basically and we helped actually make and manufacture their product for them ran a successful six-figure crowdfunding campaign for them and then they went on the show and had a really good show but didn't end up getting the deal that they wanted on the show but you know the increased exposure and everything now has led to a potential licensing deal uh, with one of the largest you know cooking companies in the world Nice. Do you guys continue
1: if uh, somebody goes on Shark Tank and creates a partnership? Do you continue to work with them or is it basically send them on Shark Tank and then they're off on their own?
0: No, we usually continue working with the majority of our clients uh, Mm -hmm. post crowdfunding. The difficulty is there's a gap there from when they get their money and now they have to go in production mode. And that gap can be, you know, anywhere from three months to three years. It just it truly depends on how quickly they can bring their product to market if they're not using us for product development services. Um, so, you know, we, we love working with all of our clients after crowdfunding because we already know who their audience is, how to engage, how to tell the story, how to stay in tone uh, and all of those things. So it's much easier for us to continue to stay on board with our clients. But many of our big clients, you know, because they see such great success are then able to hire out internal marketing teams to do it full time for them. So, you know, we, we love seeing that as well at the same token.
1: I'm curious, and this could be a really broad question, but uh, I want to ask you, you know, the idea of crowdfunding is incredible and in what it's doing for entrepreneurs all around the world. And you guys have seen that firsthand without a doubt. But w- what do you think the next 10 years of crowdfunding looks like?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to continue to grow, but the categories and the websites are going to become very categorical or niche where there's just going to be a site for high tech audio and you're going to crowdfund your tech there. And there's just going to be a a crowdfunding site for beauty products and fashion products and all of these categories specific. I think there'll be specific websites where you go just to go and back those types of products. Um, But I, I, innovation is is strong around the world we're not you know we don't have a shortage of product ideas or ways to have a shortcut to make something or do something else and crowdfunding now is the majority of the first place people go to launch their new idea it's not you know do a group think or a group study and test it there and maybe do you know spend a million or two on development i mean you know the largest companies in the world like ge are or- are working with us for their crowdfunding of new product innovations before they spend tens of millions on development. They want to find out if their product actually fits you know, the mold. So it's going to continue to progress and get more and more professional. And we're going to see a lot more corporations and enterprises using crowdfunding as a means to test products before they waste you know, a lot of money like they used to do in the past on product ideas that nobody wants. And they were just shoving down consumers' throats saying, this is what you need, instead of asking them, is this what you need?
1: Uh, I'm wondering, Roy, if you have a uh, a secret or a hidden or um, uh, a brainchild project or technology that you would want to launch if you weren't so busy working on other people's products and create something on your own.
0: Yeah, so I've always, you know, for some reason I continue to tell myself that I'm not an idea person, but I do have ideas. It's just I've just now started to write them down. For specifically for product ideas, um, so I'm getting better at that. Um, I have a whole notebook now of you know product ideas, or actually an Evernote book because usually I'm on the road or you know somewhere and just have a you know an idea and I'll write it down or draw a picture of what it is. Or now I've actually started you know trying to go down that path of creating products um, specifically for kids because I have kids now and. I see the problems that they have with different things. So, you know, I'm working with an actual client right now to create a new product line. I can't announce it yet, but um, I'm really excited about that because hopefully it's something that, you know, maybe my kids and I will run when they get of age. That's my hope, you know, where they can potentially become entrepreneurs and, you know, do the, everything on their own. But, you know, at this point, it's it's been I'm trying to free up more time for those creativity sessions and free time to actually just sit and think about my own stuff outside of my company and my agency and all of the employees that I have to take care of as well.
1: Well, we're going to do a series of 100 eight figure entrepreneurs. And so if your product is live by then, we'd love to have you back on the show and then you can do a little promotion with it if you're game. Can't wait. I want to ask you, um, from your experience going starting as a twelve year old and and maturing as an entrepreneur over a couple of decades, what what do you think, Roy, is the difference between a six figure mindset, a five figure mindset, a six figure mindset, and a seven figure mindset as an entrepreneur?
0: You know, it's funny. So I was right before this, I was listening to your interview with Trevor, uh, who I have mad respect for. yeah, and, you know, uh, and I was also disappointed that you, you loved his presentation more than mine,
1: Chris. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you but, know, uh, when it hits somebody, it hits somebody.
0: I get it. No, I because it was funny. You and I were sitting next to each other during yeah. his presentation and you were just a mad note taker, as were I, because we're both, you know, we both have podcasts. And I was like, dude, this dude is just dropping knowledge and speaking directly to us, I yeah. felt like. So it was, it was really amazing. But, you know, like it it truly is focus at this point, you know, for you to get past that five figure, six figure, seven figure and and beyond, it's it's focus on the business and what's in hand and you know, I've been fortunate to have an amazing, you know, basically like a co-founder with me now, uh, Joe, my chief operations officer and you know, head of the marketing department with me and he's implemented the the entrepreneur operating system, the EOS. And that's been revolutionary, not only for my company, but for me in terms of truly setting goals in the near future, you know, three month tranches every quarter of this is your big rock. This is the thing you have to do this quarter so we can move on to the next thing and then everybody else will be able to move on as well. So setting those short term you know, goals has been great for me as well as writing things down uh, I'm a person that has everything in my head and I know what needs to get done but then I, I forget stuff you know I'll forget stuff all the time so if I'm not writing it down or ha- having it in front of me to focus on and be like this is your daily goal this is what you need to do that's really helped me accelerate my company from 567 you know and get it up there
1: really so so what would you say your focus was like when you were at
0: the five and six figure levels it was find the next client immediately Uh, You know, because in the agency world, you're going to lose a client probably in six months, nine months. You're lucky if they stay around for 12 months unless you've locked them into something and it's not working. And in the agency world, it's just completely turnover. You've got to constantly be looking for the next client. That was really all I was doing. I was doing biz dev as well as then doing customer service and account management and then running the SEO for them or paid search or whatever it may be. And now I've been able to delegate all of those things out by hiring amazing people around me that I can delegate that off to. But now my focuses are, you know, let's where are we going to be next year? Where are we going to be in three years? Who do I need to partner with to help me get there so I don't have to do all of this biz dev and I'll have this constant flow of, you know, uh, potential customers coming in for me, and then hiring a sales team to be able to handle all that stuff, where I can hand it off to them after I've, you know, made or done the introduction or spoke at a conference and said, "Okay, here are the people that are really excited about what we can do for them."
1: So you're you're doing a lot of speaking and and kind of have your own personal brand these days, and you're traveling around. Have you enjoyed um, creating your own personal brand and running the business and? continue to speak and share and give back and travel the world at the same time?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I was on a panel on Monday uh, and that, that similar question came up in terms of personal branding and I really never focused on it. I wanted everything to be the focus of the company itself and I'm just the guy running it or started it. Whereas now that I have children, there's a clear line in terms of what social networks I keep private and what social networks are public and where I'm out there, you know, building a personal brand, I guess, and having a website kind of thing where I'd had the website before, but it was just all, you know, information and blog posts. And we took it down for a couple of years. But now with kids, you know, I've I've really tried to focus more on creating content to be a thought leader in crowdfunding, because there's starting to be a lot of noise out there and bad information about what to do. And I feel like I need to shepherd the industry or get the good information out there to protect all of these entrepreneurs from those bad actors that are out there. So I've really focused on the last you know year writing for a lot of top-tier sites from you know business.com, entrepreneur, Inc., Forbes, you know, all of these sites that entrepreneurs go to trying to get my story out there. These are the mistakes to avoid when starting a startup or mistakes to avoid when doing a crowdfunding campaign. Like I'm just trying to distill everything out and tell the real story of, you know, what it's like and from the experience that we've had doing hundreds of campaigns. So I've definitely become more open to being a public face out there because I'm speaking every other week, like New York last week, I'll fly to Toronto next week, uh, Austin the week after that, you know, it's just, it's constant, To get, you know, get the story out there and tell people what we're doing and why it's so exciting and why they should look at crowdfunding as a means not only to bring their product to market, but also raise capital for their startup with equity crowdfunding. It's a really exciting time, especially in the States with the Jobs Act being passed a few years ago, that anybody, any company out there can raise money from their friends and family publicly now. Where they used to not be able to do that, you had to be an accredited investor to make those decisions. Whereas now, people can invest a few hundred dollars in their friend's startup or a startup idea that they think will potentially take off.
1: One more question, Roy. Do you have any final tips for entrepreneurs that are in the hustle at the five figure trying to get to the six figure, or six figure trying to get to the seven figure?
0: Yeah, um, it, it is networking, but it's it's smart networking, right? Like I'm so. Honored to have been a part of the baby bathwater community, the you know the the mastermind meetup that we went to in Croatia. That for over the last year and a half, two years now, it's really extended my network out, and the opportunities have just been endless with that group. And now I'm starting to be invited to join other groups because of my expertise and the network that's there. That's really elevated my game significantly where, you know, I'm constantly making four five, 10 X returns on those investments. Uh, and in the future, I'm all for them. It's just being in the right place, you know, with the right community. So definitely try to broaden and get outside of your, your small circle in the city or town that you're in. There's a massive world of people out there that, that need your help hopefully. And, uh, don't be afraid, uh, to ask or to get out there and, you know, apply, Because it it really can change the game and can, you know, that one connection, that one introduction, you know, and I I know we both have it with Treasurer in terms of how he grew his podcast and trying to emulate that. I'm like, yes, that's that could change the game for both of us. Right. And it was just that one thing that we had at that one moment with just a small group but it's those sorts of things that i think a lot of entrepreneurs don't do yet they're just like no i'm fine doing what i'm doing but if you really want to grow and elevate your game you've got to go and network with the people that are already doing that that have made these mistakes that you can go and ask in you know a safe environment and i'm just you know extremely fortunate to be a part of that group and before you go
1: uh, i got to ask what are some of the things that you're implementing for your podcast after hearing trevor
0: Um, so definitely trying to implement, uh, you know, more for, for us, it's more of the content. So we've started actually writing blog posts around the podcast itself, the interview itself. So write an entire post around that, writing out more snippets and things like that. I'm trying to improve my audio quality, like we talked about earlier. Uh, and then other than that, the marketing of how we're trying to promote, the podcast because we're speaking to a very small universe of people right now. It's not like a business podcast. It's a crowdfunding podcast and it's very focused on that usually fashion and hardware. So again, our, our category is very small. So the advertising and promotion and traction that we're trying to gain hasn't been as robust as what you guys are trying to do of getting millions of downloads. I doubt we'll ever see that because the universe isn't that big yet of people that are engaged in the category that I'm in. But certainly trying to do more paid promotion early on in the mornings on the other side of the earth to get our podcast to start ranking for, you know, some of the marketing and crowdfunding things that we're doing. Makes sense.
1: Uh, I think we're going to wrap up there, my friend. Roy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at?
0: Yeah, so they can Google my name, uh, Roy, M-O-R-E-J-O-N, or go to our website, inventuspartners.com, E-N-V-E-N-T-Y-S, partners.com. And Chris, I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been awesome to be on your show. Thank yeah, you again.
1: Yeah, it's been an honor to have you, my friend, and we'll put the, those links in the show notes. Listeners, we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done Live Retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at TheBusinessMethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.